welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Very nice. Very, very nice. Thank you, music team, for, uh, for lifting our spirits today. What a great day. What a great day. Um, as we open our Bibles here to Acts chapter 9, uh, I'd also draw your attention to the memory verse, actually memory passage for this week uh, that uh, we'll recite on Wednesday evenings. I've been working hard on these. It's just hard, as hard for me as it is for you folks, but uh, it is an encouragement. And uh, just note about faith. And uh, before faith came, we were in custody under the law, yet uh, the commandments and God's law have been a tutor to lead us to the grace and forgiveness that is, that is in Christ. And it states that uh, we are justified by faith. And now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. Uh, we're all sons of God daughters of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. Let that not be lost today in our message. Uh, But it will be a challenging one for us, and and, uh, I've heard a few of you have said that you kind of like it that way, so we'll roll with it. (laughs) And as we look at verse 32 of Acts chapter 9, the writer Luke here... um, It's going to bring us up to speed with what has been going on with the Apostle Peter. What's been happening with him? Verse 31 will supply the setting for us. Um, It is another one of those very significant hinge verses we've talked about in Acts. uh, A paragraph all to itself in most of your translations, which explains that following the conversion of Saul... Quote, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. So the church continued to increase. And there's a couple things uh, to note from this hinge verse as we progress further now into the book of Acts. First, and and this would be very relevant to us as Christians in America, when the people of God enjoy a period or a season of relative tranquility, when persecution is removed, the church continues to increase. The church doesn't hit the pause button when the storms of persecution cease, Uh, And thankfully, the church doesn't have to suffer persecution uh, to increase uh, conversions for the Lord. Uh, Praise God that our ministry together can be very effective during seasons of peace. (laughs) Quite frankly, I'd prefer it that way. I'd prefer the Holy Spirit stir, stir us to be zealous for God and to be zealous for good deeds in the absence of tribulation. Secondly, with this hinge verse, we should recognize a substantial amount of time has passed since Pentecost. 
We previously learned how three, tra- uh, three years transpired uh, just between verses 20 and 23 as Saul, as Saul the Pharisee was converted to Christianity, uh, began to minister in Damascus and then Arabia and back into Damascus again before being expelled or having to flee from Damascus. Uh, Therefore, Christ's church uh, scattered throughout Judea is is now surpassing 10 years old. As the conversion of the first Gentile, he will be named Cornelius. That is just around the bend. It will follow Peter's visit to this town of Lydda And uh, then he lodging in Joppa. So uh, this ethnically Jewish Jewish church uh, pushed out of Jerusalem has settled in the surrounding regions where it has matured. Christians are growing up. And uh, Peter and the other apostles, uh, though they are still primarily Based in Jerusalem, uh, they make their rounds to visit and encourage the church that is becoming rooted in areas of Judea and Samaria and Galilee, uh, yet still an exclusively Jewish church, inclusive of a diversity or variety of Jewish proselytes, those who converted to Judaism and into Christianity. And this is the case as the narrative catches us, catches us up now with Peter in Acts chapter 9. He is visiting those towns and cities, strengthening all of the saints, leading us to a marvelous passage where we are introduced to an amazing woman named Tabitha. Please follow along as I read from Acts 9 verse 32. Now, as Peter was traveling through all these regions, uh, he came down to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, uh, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up, and all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and And they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with good deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. 
became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord, and Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. So, as I stated, uh, this passage documents for us Peter's actions leading up to the Lord, calling him to visit Cornelius. And uh, there arise a couple of divergent paths of interpretation that this passage can take. A uh, charismatic interpretation states that just as Peter had performed miracles, so also all Christians can perform these exact same miracles today, uh, such as healing paralytics and raising the dead, if we have enough faith. Uh, that belief is called a continuist view, uh, proposing these mir- miraculous apostolic signs continue to our day. But that view fails to take into account a couple things. Uh, number one, uh, how Peter is visiting Christians in Lydda. They're already settled in Lydda, uh, many of whom had lived there now for a long time, yet even those first century Christians were forced to wait until the Apostle Peter arrived before the healing occurs. Because of miracles and wonders, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, are signs of a true apostle. So if all Christians have the ability to heal paralytics and to raise the dead, why did all of these Christians who are living in Lydda and Joppa need to wait for Peter to visit Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years? As I said, there were already scores of saints living in Lydda. Oh, why make the poor man wait eight years? And why didn't one of those Christians who was living in Joppa, who surely adored Tabitha, why didn't they raise her from the dead? Well, it's because even a typical first century Christian did not have the power to perform apostolic signs and wonders. Instead, uh, what we see in Acts 9 is very similar to what we observed back in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, where we read, quote, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place. And in that context, uh, we actually observed how it was the typical first century Christians who themselves were constrained to carrying the sick into the presence of the apostles for the healings to occur. Remember, they were going around and gathering them together and bringing them into Jerusalem and even laying them in the street, hoping that Peter would come by. Uh, So the honest truth is uh, only a small number perform miraculous signs, only on limited occasions. Uh, So that, that charismatic, continuous view, it's wrong. It's wrong. Port St. Lucie Bible Church believes these apostolic sign gifts ceased at the close of the apostolic age, around 95 AD. And uh, the evidence of how Christians no longer perform such miracles, it, it surrounds us. It surrounds us. Consequently, when it comes to miraculous healings, God still can do whatever He chooses 
Let's not get that wrong. God can do whatever He chooses. But with all the doctor's appointments, the prescriptions, the physical therapy, pharmacy visits, enjoyed by us just in this small circle of people right here, uh, clearly you and I don't have the powers to heal all these things. Please step forward if you do. Please. I'm not going to go through verses... 32 to 34 to discuss Aeneas simply because this scene uh, is virtually a repeat of what occurred back in Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John healed the uh, 40-year-old man who had been lame and crippled uh, since his mother's uh, gave birth to him, since the womb had never walked. Similarly for Aeneas, it's, it's, you know, it's really hard to fake bedridden for eight years. Somebody's going to see him sneaking out of bed at some point or another if it isn't for real. Uh, But one thing to note is how once again, these healings like that of Aeneas, they're they're immediate. They're complete. Immediate healings. They require no hospital visit, no physical therapy, no period of recovery, no ambulance uh, uh, to the hospital, no prescriptions. Yet while Peter was in the town of Lydda, sits about 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem. He was made aware of a female disciple named Tabitha who lived in Joppa. She was about, that Joppa was about 10 miles further. And Joppa is in fact a part of modern day Tel Aviv on the Mediterranean, Mediterranean coast. And, and it is the entry of Tabitha onto the scene that provides us with an alternate plan, an alternate interpretation, a path to understand this passage. Rather than every Christian replicating the behavior here by Peter, uh, this narrative seems more concerned with every Christian replicating the behavior of Tabitha. Tabitha, who had been so beloved by the first Christian church of Joppa, that God sends Peter to restore her life and her ministry. Very significant. Tabitha is very significant. Standing out as one of only two people, recorded as having died, and then raised back to life, after Pentecost. There were only two. Eutychus will be raised by Paul in Acts chapter 20, and here Tabitha is raised by Peter. That's all. None others raised is recorded in Scripture. And uh, I believe one reason God raised Tabitha back up is to elevate hers as a life well-lived. Performing apostolic miracles is not the pattern we are to follow in this passage. Uh, Here's the pattern we follow. You ready for this? A life well lived equals resurrection from the dead. A life well lived equals 
resurrection from the dead. As Tabitha serves as a reflection of that last day, when Christ returns, yet our Lord's brother James asks, if a man has faith, but no works, can that faith save him? James 2.14. The answer is surely no. Surely no. True saving faith will result in perpetual works of righteousness. Ephesians 2 verse 10, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Our memory verse, memory passage for this week uh, reveals that we are justified and we become children of God through faith alone. You know, God's grace and His forgiveness, Christ dying for our sins on the cross and raising up on the third day, uh, it, that forgiveness can't be earned. There's nothing we can do that will impress God. I mean, He made the world and everything in it. God, God also never becomes a debtor to us, owing us something. Our salvation uh, isn't based on our you know, pathetic level of performance most of the time. This is why Scripture describes us as saved by faith alone in Christ alone. But like Tabitha, we are not saved alone. God saved her for the purpose of some good works, some really good works. And her remarkable life, a completely transformed life, supplies us with an assurance there will be a resurrection of God's elect, His righteous elect, who have tirelessly served Christ's church. Additionally, and perhaps more practically, in a practical sense, uh, through restoring her life, Jesus Christ establishes in Scripture a timeless legacy of Tabitha's service. And he does so as an example and a pattern for his beloved bride, the church. And notice this, that God not only restored her for the benefit of that local church, existed in Joppa some 2,000 years ago. Scripture also documents her, her, her godly life to serve as an exhortation and a universal uh, uh, challenge to the church, including you and me today. That's why it's in the Bible, folks. We need Tabitha just as badly as that ancient church needed Tabitha. And we need Tabitha to become a pattern for our own devoted Christian life, a life well lived. A life that is sacrificial, a life that is zealous for good deeds, as Scripture calls us to be, and therefore a life that will be qualified to be raised on the last day to eternal life. You know, as, as I ask myself this same question, 
let me invite you to join me in a sober reality check. Looking solely at the works of your hands. Solely at the works of your hands, does your life qualify as a completely transformed life? A new creation, washed, renewed, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Is your soul truly converted and prepared to be raised up along with us when Christ returns for his people? Don't offer a defense by saying, well, this is what I believe or what you say you believe. Even the demons believe. Is there not just sufficient, but is there ample evidence that you belong to Christ based on the continual work of your hands. Where are your hands? Show them to me. Show me your hands. Are they holy hands? That exhortation from 1 Timothy 2 isn't an exhortation for a worship uh, posture. Saying, lifting up holy hands means, are they unstained, holy hands set apart to the work of the Lord? Just asking. Was Christian service, you know, a season you passed through? You know, maybe like a week. When we visit one another as Christians, do we find ourselves increasingly, and of course there's some grace here, because as we age, things change, but do we see ourselves increasingly talking about things that we used to do for the Lord? Hmm. By the way, for the sake of today's discussion about Tabitha, I just have to throw this in there. Just showing up to church every week is not a huge accomplishment. Surely there are things that you and I may do during the week to prepare for Sunday. Service that may be sacrificial. I'm sure it took a lot of time to practice that music. Other things, many different things that we do during the week that are sacrificial leading up to Sunday. But just walking through the door on Sunday doesn't uh, qualify. I'm not suggesting any here, anyone here would conclude that it does. But it, it probably won't surprise us to learn that uh, people have been inaccurately taught and believe that because they attend church now and then, on Sunday morning, maybe a random Wednesday here or there, They believe their life qualifies to be raised up by Christ on the last day. I mean, America has really set the bar low for a life well lived. And for decades, you know, an Americanized distortion of Christianity has preached a 
faith that is alone all by itself, but it has no works. And not only James, but also the Apostle Paul would urge us all to challenge that type of faith. For though we surely are saved by grace alone and through faith alone, that true saving faith is a faith that is not alone. It is followed by good works. Uh, For even the Apostle Paul declares, quote, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The life of Tabitha becomes an inoculant. Good prevention against a a lackadaisical religion masquerading as Christianity uh, because we can know for certain that hers is a life well lived. As I referenced earlier, uh, her being raised from the dead is a major New Testament endorsement of her life. Her impeccable character is the primary issue in the text. God raised her not for her sake alone, Not only for the church that she she served in Joppa, but for us. It's printed in Scripture for us that we might, in studying this text, learn and yearn to replicate her behavior. You know, Tabitha wouldn't want any of us to fall short of entering into the kingdom of God. Due due to a misunderstanding of the gospel, as a pastor, I fear there are Americans uh, who have professed Christianity along with their children and their teenagers who are fully deceived into believing the biblical Christian religion is a Sunday morning spectator sport. Void of virtually any sustained holiness or or sacrificial service in between. Therefore, Therefore, I am grateful, supremely grateful for Tabitha supplying you and me and our children who sit with us with an important lesson today. You know, in respect to this topic of holiness, uh, the Greek term saint, or hagios, is the way the Greek pronounces it, I believe. Uh, that Greek term saint, it appears 60 times in Scripture, and it means a holy one. person who is a holy one. A uh, holy describes people who are fully set apart, singled out, and those who are consecrated to God's purposes, to to serve His special divine and redemptive purposes in this age. 
The word implies both morally pure and functionally religious. Functionally religious, sanctified is a related term that is similar. Uh, The Bible uses the term saint, uses it to refer to every single person who has ever trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You can see in our text today, verse 32, the saints lived in Lydda. In verse, 30, in verse 41, the saints lived in Joppa. A, a saint or a holy one set apart is a word descriptive of every true Christian. Every single one. And in verse 36, we're introduced to a saint who's named Tabitha. Her name's also Dorcas in, in the Greek. Um, boy, she, she was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. She's also described as a disciple or or a learner, which assures she not only committed her hands to charity, she committed her mind to sound doctrine as well. She was a disciple. She was a learner. Her acts of kindness and charity are presented as having occurred continually. Which probably suggests she was a woman of some financial means. She had some money. And she's clearly not a, you know, one-time wonder. You know, a one-time wonder. One who served one time. Then you kind of wonder where they've been ever since. No, Tabitha was perpetually devoted to serving the saints, a woman abounding with deeds of kindness. But that term abounding too, it's included here to just to amplify how her charitable works extended to complete fullness. Abounding means fullness. In one manifestation of her many charitable works will be put on display and just a couple more verses for us. Yet uh, in verse 37, it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. That washing of the body was the initial stage of the body uh, for burial. Uh, This fact is included to assure Luke's readers that Tabitha, she's not just unconscious. She hasn't had a spell. She has truly expired. She's dead. And in verse 38, since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay coming to us. Again, we find these are described as disciples. So, so those given this task to find Peter are also Christians. Christians are throughout the area now, living in a season of peace. And verse 39 says that Peter arose, he went with them. Seems a little bit like a strange series or domino of events here. Um, 
Verse 38 appears to reveal the two men were dispatched after she died. Uh, That could be true. Um, Perhaps it is true. But that would seem to imply they were expecting Peter could raise her from the dead, uh, a feat that's recorded nowhere else of Peter. So why might they assume Peter could do that? I I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Uh, But... If the men had departed just before Tabitha died, that that would seem to me more logical and may explain why they were imploring, imploring Peter, please come quickly. Do not delay. Uh, and they told him with much urgency, please come with us. Because possibly when they had left, Tabitha was so gravely ill. Either way, either way in that, by the time Peter arrives, Tabitha's dead. And, and her body had been laid in an upper room where Peter discovered many, weep, uh, many widows were weeping. This expands our understanding of Tabitha as well. Uh, she was a practitioner of true and undefiled religion. James one twenty seven. She made it one of her life's ambitions to provide for widows who were in distress. They, they now surround her weeping. They were the many wearing the tunics and the garments that Tabitha had made for them. So an important point of interest is that these widows were not showing Peter dresses hung up on hangers. Nor are we talking about a storefront display with dresses hanging in it. Uh, There there exists a great distance of time and a major disconnect between our culture and theirs. Yet we think of clothes as something that we go to the mall where, where racks are full of many of the same color and, and but in different sizes. And uh, of course, such products can be acquired very cheaply today because of the modern textile industry. Uh, some men might conclude by reading this if we just breeze through it. Well, <laughs> isn't that cute? You know, she made them some nice dresses that the widows could have just as easily picked up at Walmart for nine ninety nine. No big deal, we think. Instead, this is a very big deal. In Tabitha's day, making clothes was very tedious and very expensive because you had to weave all of the fabric by hand. You had to make the thread, weave the fabric... Clothing did not come from China in shipping containers. You did know that, right? It wasn't cheap. It wasn't easily purchased. You couldn't pick it off the rack according to your size. Making clothes is very time-consuming. You would measure to fit a size and tailor it for a unique individual. 
Consequently, uh, clothing, which is an essential item, it was difficult to come by. It was expensive to acquire. And there was an amplified concern of quality because you would find yourself living in it for a very long time. I don't know what we could compare this to today. The amount of time, the amount of quality, providing for others something that will endure a long time. You know, my mind went in places. I was thinking about uh, just one example, perhaps Shannon, who trains up youth with uh, piano and just watching today with Tammy Joe. Were you playing piano two years ago? about a couple of years or less playing piano and Shannon's poured into people. Tedious. A lot of time, effort, dealing with personalities, persevering through in order to have a quality product when you finally get to the end. There are other things in your mind that you might see as very high, a very hard to come by, a very high value item today. There are many things that we can do that can serve uh, the saints in every way, week to week. Tabitha had really poured herself into her ministry. The widows standing beside Peter, they were wearing the clothes that Dorcas had made for them. They were weeping because Tabitha had employed her wealth and her time, lots of time, using her very own hands to fit these widows into high-quality clothing that they could never afford to buy. They each wore a fitted undergarment. That's referred to as a tunic, a close-fitting undergarment. Uh, And they had on a warmer outer garment. That's sometimes called a cloak. Such clothing, a set of clothing like that was expensive. You remember with Jesus, uh, his was one piece uh, that they cast lots over at the cross in order to salvage some of the material, a nice piece of material. It's because clothing was hard to come by. Beyond the clothing she'd made for so many, her deeds of charity continued and were abounding. She was a woman of means. She had poured out her fortune, her time, her life into the church. She was fully vested in good deeds, providing for saints in need. Folks, hers was really a life well-lived. Very well-lived. Can we now recognize that uh, the pointless junk that we continually accumulate for our our using our fortunes. It's going to speak against us when Christ returns. How much do we really need? What are our hands busy doing during the week and on the weekends? Are our hands set apart as holy unto the Lord? Do we realize our children watch our every move 
and they see where our time and where our money are spent. In what type of faith, then, are we discipling them? And can that kind of faith, James would ask, save them? And are we more than Sunday spectators, or do those little eyes see that mother and father are fully vested in the kingdom? Or do they learn by example that being a Christian means fully invested elsewhere? Ponder that as eternity in hell hangs in the balance. If such questioning troubles you, you'll forget about it in just a moment. Here's a second lesson of the life of Dorcas. Is the local church going to grieve when you're gone? Remember, it wasn't only widows, but there were men who hurried over to Lydda, dispatched to find Peter, praying that he could do something. The entire church both knew and loved Tabitha because she had poured her life into it for years. Oh, what did her love look like? Well, Tabitha washed the feet of difficult people. How do I know that? Every church is made up of strange and difficult people. If you don't believe me, look to the left. (laughs) And look to the right. And then look in the mirror. If you have a mirror in your home, there is no possibility of escaping problem people. The same is true in every local church. Our only option is to learn to love them, and they in turn learn to love us. One confidence I have, one is a changed life, uh, not to where I'd like to be, but on the path of, of change. But one confidence I have that I am a redeemed Christian is that I love you people. And you are very strange people. (laughs) Nonetheless, the Lord Jesus has fashioned you into a phenomenal church. I truly mean that. And by the grace of God, I know the grass isn't greener elsewhere. And part of my confidence of salvation is this passage found in 1 John 3.14. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. 
He who does not love abides in death. If I were not regenerated, if I were not redeemed by Christ's blood, I would not be here. I would not remain here. I would spend my money and my time elsewhere, as many do. Dorcas was a woman of means. She could have taken her money and run. But the true gospel had taught her how to love others. Boy, and they loved her in return. But love takes time. It is patient. It is kind. Love is willing to overlook an offense time and again. It's not proud. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Do you know why so many people around this country, not just South Florida, why so many people around this country hop churches every couple of years because they cannot bring themselves to love the holy and chosen ones of Christ, the precious bride for whom he died. For many, God knows everything. For many, there is no love in them. They never settle. They're never satisfied. I'll go over there, they say, and I'll learn to love people over there. But then they discover that those are strange and difficult people over there. So they don't attend regularly. They never stay anywhere for very long and never overcome obstacles to get to know people. And so again, they move on. And when you never learn to love and to sacrifice like Dorcas, many will die lonely and none will grieve their loss. Tabitha persevered and gave herself till death And many people loved her because it was a life well lived. We have a a member here who died a couple of months ago. His name was John Sanford. Because he was in nursing care for quite a long time, some here may never have gotten to meet John, uh, but he gave himself to this church Virtually every week, many Saturdays, uh, he was out there mowing or changing light bulbs in here. Um, Whatever he could do, whatever fit him. Each person has their own abilities. The reason that he could 
do that is he recognized that Christ, service to Christ will yield an infinitely greater reward throughout eternity than weekends filled with ultimately pointless and vain entertainment. Personally, I think John Sanford just really loved this church. I don't think it was the reward at all he was seeking, which is common with most people who really love. Tim asked him to stop getting on ladders when he was 90. (laughs) And then dying it, he was almost 97 years old, I believe. Uh, John just outlived all of his peers. But even if you didn't know him, I would hope you might attend his memorial that will be here at 11 a.m. on September 30th. His family, his children, some of whom will be traveling in from out of state, uh, they know how deeply John loved and the great extent that he served this congregation. And it would be a good testimony for our church to that family if as many of us as possible could be here to honor him. John's was a life well lived. As we transition back to the upper room in verse 40, you know, we read that Peter sent them all out. He cleared the room. Not going to put himself on display doing something amazing. And uh, while he was alone with her, it says that he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Again, Tabitha is one of only two people raised from the dead after Pentecost. Um, this, this was a true resurrection from the dead in verse 37. It, it describes her as being dead. Um, it was a resurrection. It was not a resuscitation. Peter did not even touch her until she sat up. There were no chest compressions, no AED to get off the wall. There was nothing there. She had no brain activity. She was dead. So just want us to know that because there's a lot of very liberal ideas out there about this passage, Tabitha was not code red. She was code dead. But God raised her up again. And he is going to raise us up again as well. Just as Jesus himself was raised on the third day, so also every person who has ever lived on the earth will be raised from the dead when Christ returns. Whether you are a believer or you sit as an unbeliever today, you will be raised. Believers are forgiven of our sins, trusting that Jesus died for them on the cross, And through faith in Christ, we are justified and we are saved. Uh, Yet, each of us too will be assessed on how our lives were lived. 
as to whether it was holy, whether it was charitable, whether it was kind. Was it a life concerned about the saints? And was it abounding in good deeds? Will yours qualify as a life well lived? Let's pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, as we ponder the, uh, the greatness of Your grace, greater than our sin, and we rejoice in the salvation that we share, Father, we just have to admit, each and every one of us, that boy, we just continue to fall short in so many ways. And yet, your grace is still greater. You've called us to be a holy people, set apart to love and good deeds and to abound in kindness and generosity and, and to use our days as an opportunity to do good because they're slipping past very quickly. And Father, I pray through the Example left by Tabitha, that it would stir us and and spur us to think, boy, what is really important here? Is what I'm doing redeemable for eternity? Is it, when the fire comes of testing, is it all going to be burned up? Will we ourselves alone pass through the fire of testing Or will the precious jewels and gold and silver uh, that we have that we have served, uh, saving souls and doing the work of you, uh, will it pass through with us? Oh Lord, we pray that the lives that we have shaped here will pass through along with us. That we'll stand in your glory, looking at one another. And saying, every single one of us, one to another, saying, boy, yours was a life well lived. Father, by your grace, we invite you to do this in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 